a massive fraud takedown targeting healthcare professionals and U.S. federal agencies failing to safeguard highly sensitive information. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. Survey after survey shows nurses, pharmacists, and physicians are among the most trusted professionals, but not every one of those healthcare practitioners are honest and ethical. In what's characterized as the largest healthcare fraud takedown ever, authorities accused 301 individuals, including nurses, pharmacists, and physicians, of falsely billing Medicare and Medicaid $900 million. Health Info Security Executive Editor Marianne Kolbesak-McGee covered this story for ISMG, and she joins me. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Eric. What did authorities say these health professionals and other defendants do to warrant these charges? Some of these physicians, nurses, and others that are being charged with Medicaid and Medicare fraud are accused of, for instance, billing for services that were never provided to patients, charging for items such as durable equipment that was never needed or never delivered. There was a, a variety of different sort of crimes in addition to identity theft, conspiracy, money laundering, a whole variety of different crimes related to healthcare fraud. Part of this fraud scheme occurs online, right? A lot of the billing takes place uh, electronically. In terms of the claims that get processed by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, these transactions are often electronic. What the federal government is doing is analyzing a lot of the sort of patterns of billing that various types of providers submit for reimbursement. What they're doing is trying to detect unusual sorts of patterns from people that, you know, you wouldn't expect to get these sorts of bills from. Leslie Caldwell is the assistant attorney general overseeing the criminal division, and she says that the takedown is a prime example of 21st century data-driven policing. We're analyzing billing data in real time. We're targeting hot spots around the country where the data shows that Medicare fraud is pervasive, and we are focusing on the types of healthcare services where the data is showing there's a high potential for abuse. By doing this, we're increasingly able to stop these schemes at the developmental stage before they grow, before they spread, and before they move to other parts of the country. The Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Sylvia Burwell says that the technology is allowing them to be more proactive in finding fraudsters. We're moving from a pay-and-chase model to a prevention model, and that's a model where what we're able to do is take those data and analytics, and when we see things that aren't consistent with a normal pattern, we can go at them. One of the key lessons here is that the federal government is becoming more proactive in terms of identifying and catching health care fraudsters, and this is something also that the private health care insurance sector is also beginning to use these tools as well, although the federal government has deeper resources to make good on this. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you, Eric. Sensitive data stored on the computers of four U.S. federal agencies are at risk of being disclosed to unauthorized individuals. That's the judgment from the watchdog agency, the Government Accountability Office, in a new report on selected high-impact systems. GAO identifies the four agencies as NASA, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Office of Personnel Management, and Department of Veterans Affairs. How serious is this situation? Here's the lead author of the report, GAO Information Security Issues Director Gregory Wilshelson. The loss of either the confidentiality, 
integrity or availability of that information or the system would create a severe or catastrophic impact on the agency. And that could result in, for example, major loss of financial resources. It could result in major damage to assets or it could even cause the loss of life or serious injury to the organization's personnel. The government watchdog says the four agencies have weaknesses in patching software vulnerabilities and planning for contingencies. Why? They didn't fully implement key parts of their information security programs. And Wilshison says that makes those systems vulnerable. The most serious and prevalent threats that agencies face are phishing and spear phishing attacks, and they also include credential-based attacks such as password cracking or guessing someone's password and reusing it. The most common vector or means that these attacks occur are through email and websites, which is not surprising since that's how many users actually communicate in their normal course of their business. Who's behind these attacks? The most prevalent threat actors or sources of threats are those that relate to nations as well as malicious insiders and external parties that may not be known to the agency. Wilshison says these agencies have identified risks, but they haven't always been consistent in implementing security controls that would mitigate them. He says the agencies need to do more to better protect the sensitive information on their systems. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The latest alleged online fraudster is a Brit named Idris Deo Mustafa. And to discuss the online crimes authorities contend Mustafa did is data breach today executive editor Matt Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hey, Eric. Okay, Matt. Who is Mustafa and what are the bad deeds he's alleged to have committed? What we know about Mustafa is he's a UK citizen. His whereabouts, as best I can tell, are unknown. And he allegedly hacked into a handful of individuals' online brokerage accounts and used them to make trades. These trades allegedly were part of a short selling scheme that he was running. So he was attempting to alter the price of stocks and then profit from those alterations. Why do authorities suspect Mustafa? A U.S. brokerage account registered in his name made a number of trades that line up with hacked victims' accounts trades. According to the SEC's complaints, the victims did not make these trades, hence someone accessed the account and did, and they found a high degree of correlation down to the seconds. Mustafa making trades in his accounts and allegedly making trades in the victims' accounts. Not all the details have come to light, but according to the complaint, the same MAC address, that's an ID, a unique ID assigned to a computing device, the same MAC address was used to access Mustafa's US online brokerage account, as well as multiple of the victims' online brokerage accounts. Furthermore, the complaint says they know Mustafa used an anonymizing proxy, which is meant to disguise your identity, to access at least one of the victims' accounts. That suggests that the SEC has gone back and either subpoenaed or obtained records from the anonymizing service and traced it back to the individual they believe to be Mustafa. How much was allegedly stolen from these accounts? The SEC has published various accountings of how they believe he profited. And to date, they believe that he's made profits of at least $68,000 while causing at least $289,000 in losses for the victim accounts that he allegedly hacked into. What else do we know about this investigation? 
It remains ongoing. It's interesting because when you see a complaint, for example, from the FBI, it tends to be the result of months and months and months of work. What this complaint is saying is that the alleged scam went from February of this year until May of this year and may still be continuing. The SEC says it's found one online brokerage account in the U.S. It's named a handful of victims in the U.S. and a handful of victims abroad. The SEC in its complaint says it's expedited. It's related to an investigation. Nine million dollars was put at risk, it said. That was the value of the funds in all of the accounts that they believe Mustafa to have accessed. It's also likely that there are other accounts with other firms and other victims. And the SEC is making that point. They went to a judge, got the judge to freeze $100,000 in Mustafa's assets and also to order him to not destroy evidence. Whether or not that happens, we'll see. Again, it doesn't appear that they know where in the world Mustafa might be at this moment. Okay, thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. Finally, an analysis of privacy rights by America's top diplomat, Secretary of State John Kerry. In an interview with Bloomberg News, Kerry reiterated his support for allowing authorities to bypass encryption on mobile devices, provided they have probable cause of a possible crime and that proper legal processes are followed to protect the owner's privacy. Kerry then compared today's concerns with privacy rights that existed in the 1990s. People need to go back 20 years and examine what kind of privacy we had 20 years ago. You can buy criminal records of people publicly. You can get bank records, finance records, mortgage. I mean, there's an incredible amount of loss of privacy that's taken place long before the Internet actually came into being. People, they just didn't know about it as much. But what Curry failed to note is that today's technologies make it easier to gain access to records about individuals than it was at the dawn of the internet. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. I'll be away for the next few episodes, but the report will continue with my colleague Matt Schwartz hosting. Catch him next time. <laughs>